0: and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive.
1: Welcome to a Guided Life podcast, where we talk about all things spirit and life. I'm your host, Laura West. Through a mix of solo and interview episodes, I want to showcase all the different ways the spirit world helps guide our daily lives. Whether it's through intuition, signs, mediumship, channeling, the mystical, or the paranormal, our altruistic spirit guides and other members of our loving soul team are always there, ready, able, and willing to guide us. My guest today is Jessica Falcon. Jessica is an international soul embodiment guide and speaker. She co-hosts the Radically Embodied Love podcast, teaches online workshops, and coaches private clients from around the world. And she guides women to reclaim their power and sovereignty so they experience the ecstasy of true soul freedom. Hello, Jessica. Thanks so much for being here today.
2: Hi, Lord. It's so great to be here. I'm honored to be part of your community and dive deep today. Oh, I'm so honored to have you on here as well.
1: So, without further ado, I'd love to dive in and first ask you, how has spirit
2: guided your life? I wish that were a simple, easy answer.
1: I don't expect <laughs> it to be.
2: <laughs> it has been an incredible journey. I used to be a criminal prosecutor and an attorney for seven years. And The conscious communication with spirit, where I was actively seeking that out and receiving it started during that time. But really, spirit guided my life, even when I was a little girl and would give me dreams at pivotal moments in my life or the moment when I was driving down the street and something said, don't turn right where you always turn right. And I went a different way and saw the car behind me and in front of me had been an accident. Had I turned right, I would have been in between them. Just moments like that throughout my life that I never... Understood mentally because we can't ever grasp spirit. We can never understand spirit with our heads, but I would feel it and I would know it. When I was a criminal prosecutor, I had all of these life events, boom, 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 one after the other that literally started to shake up my reality and make me question, there has to be more to the world than meets the eye. And it started with a flood. I lost everything in a matter of hours, a bicycle accident that nearly killed me. I saw the scar here on my chin and other trauma that I experienced in my life that gave me the opportunity to look at why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? What am I doing? And is it because it's truly what I want to do? Because I had been on this path of, quote, success as society defines it. And I enjoyed what I was doing, but it was based on what I thought I should be doing. It wasn't coming from the inside out. It was this is success, this is good, this is the way, this is what you're supposed to do. And so I started to open up more to that guidance. Oh, that's
1: wonderful. Okay, so obviously there was a time when you felt like your life path was to pursue law. So what was life like for you
2: during that time? Hmm. Interesting question, I love that. <laughs> so I was always pretty rebellious, even though I ended up becoming a prosecutor. (laughs) I never wanted to do things just the way everybody else did them. I went to law school to do women's rights. And I felt like people are more likely to listen to me if I have a law degree. Because unfortunately, as a woman, I didn't feel people listen to me unless I proved I was worthy of being heard. And having a law degree somehow proved that to mainstream society gave me that, oh, now people have to hear me. Like a credibility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Instead of I am worthy of being heard because I am me, because I exist. I didn't know that on the inside. That's not what we're taught. It's not what we're told to believe. My reality growing up in South Carolina was that especially men didn't listen to women. And I didn't even feel heard for who I was in general. And so I still thought I was going to do women's rights work. And then when I left law school, a series of events caused me to move, leave for Boston and go to Charlotte, North Carolina, which is a little bit closer to my family because there were a lot of family things going on. And I thought, I don't want to be so far away. And while I was studying for the bar exam, I already had a job for a women's nonprofit and everybody kept saying, well, you know, if you start doing policy work first, you'll never be able to litigate. And I was like, well, I'm never one to give up opportunities. (laughs) so maybe I should look at something else. Very long story short, through a lot of synchronicities, got the job at the district attorney's office and thought, oh, maybe I'll stay for two years. And ended up being there for almost, I think, six as a prosecutor. And during that time, I very much felt passionate for justice because I'm a Scorpio's son, but I have tons of labor in my chart so much Libra, which is all about justice and always wanted to give voice to those who didn't have a voice. Can you see a theme here? (laughs) And so I took my role really seriously, but I was constantly deflated and literally went home crying for the first several weeks at what I saw actually happen in the courtroom. I am also a Scorpio
1: son. Oh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <Love it. laughs> so that's really interesting. Was there any inkling at that time of a more spiritual path?
2: Hmm. I would say I started to wake up more spiritually after the flood occurred. That was in 2008. Prior to that, the spiritual part was that I always felt something. I always felt connected to my soul. I didn't know how to receive its guidance yet. I didn't know how to trust it yet, but I always felt my soul. I felt I had a direct connection to God, the divine, in my own heart since a very young age. That was already guiding me in many ways, even though I wasn't doing it so consciously, so to speak, because I remember even, and this is not against corporate at all, but for me and my alignment, I knew I could leave law school and make a hundred some thousand dollars as a corporate lawyer, but I just couldn't. My soul was like, that would kill me I needed to do something that mattered to me, that felt meaningful, that felt purposeful. Even though I started out making 37000 instead of 137000 I was more fulfilled because it was an alignment for me. And so in those kinds of ways, I was absolutely already guided, but I wouldn't say it was a conscious intention.
1: Well, I love that you say it that way, because I think that there are many people who probably think, oh, I need to be spiritual, or I need to be in tune with the other side to understand my intuition, yada, yada, yada. And it just validates what I believe is that we all are intuitive. Some of us use it to connect to the other side, but others use it for just everyday life things you put it so nicely in that you weren't aware about it, but you still use your internal compass to decide. And that's what intuition is pretty much. So I love that. So six years at the DA's office, what happened after that?
2: Mm, Okay. So here's a funny story about (laughs) soul and the guidance we receive. The soul does not like compromises. And this is what I learned in this journey. So I had been feeling this deep inner calling to leave everything and go away for at least three months. And I was like, that is ridiculous. It's irresponsible. There's no way. I don't have the money. I can't do that. All the things, right? The ego does to resist the soul truth, right? Because the soul is infinite. It knows way more than the mind can ever know. And I didn't trust that at that point. And so I threw up a fight, literally kicked and screamed. I felt it deep down for well over a year. And then I had a life-changing vision that catapulted me into another reality going into 2013 that started to help me stop resisting so much. But in the meantime, I literally felt like I was going crazy as if I was about to have a nervous breakdown because the disconnect between what I felt inside and what I was doing grew stronger and stronger and stronger, so much so that I was making myself crazy. Eventually, I surrendered but it wasn't a graceful surrender it was a give me a sign Please, like a begging for a sign so that I could trust what I knew inside I needed something physical to make me feel like I wasn't absolutely insane I got the sign within an hour and as soon as I got the sign where I was living I had been there for three and a half years and then suddenly I had to be out in 45 days or sign another year. And I was like, okay, they've never asked me this. This is my son I was asking for. And I looked around my beautiful apartment and I was like, there is no way I can be here in a year. And the next morning, before I stood up from the table, I sent my notice to leave. And the next morning, I literally posted pictures of everything I owned on Facebook. And within an hour, more than half of it had sold. And I was like, all right, well, I guess this is happening. Within three months, closed the law practice I'd started. So here's where the soul doesn't like compromises. I realized I skipped several steps because I got so excited. But when I knew I had to leave, my compromise initially was, well, I can't do something like leave the legal profession entirely. So I will start a holistic law firm to merge soul with what I'm doing in the world, and that's the compromise I will create to make myself feel like I'm still responsible according to worldly standards and, quote, safe. <laughs>
1: that sounds good to me. <laughs> I totally get why you would come up with that. <laughs> and my soul was like, uh, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> that's not your path. <laughs> okay, so I love that you shared about that story with the sign. That's great. And how just everything fell into place. You mentioned a vision. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah, so the vision was New Year's Eve going in 2013, and I had just started a few months prior to become more interested in the divine feminine. I didn't really know what that meant. (laughs) Now I would probably describe it differently than I would have then, but at the time it was this concept of like, oh, the divine feminine, like, what is that? Is it goddess? Is it something else? And I had been hearing more about Mary Magdalene. At that time, all I knew was the story we had been told about her. But as soon as I started hearing more about her, I felt this deep connection in my heart. So without, again, knowing why, because we don't usually know why the soul wants to do what the soul wants to do, I... Printed out three pictures. One was of Isis, the Egyptian queen of heaven and earth, who was known as the goddess of 10,000 names, worshipped in ancient Egypt and Rome and Greece, all over for a very long time. I put her picture along with Mary Magdalene's on my altar prior to New Year's Eve, like two days prior. A friend was over, we were eating dinner, we didn't have anything to drink. I don't do drugs, never have. So there was nothing to alter my mind. I never had an embodied vision before. We ate dinner. I'm putting the dishes in the sink and I'm like, I have this incredible pain on my stomach. I have to sit down. So I go sit down on this chair and I put my hands on my stomach And it was so intense, like right where the soul light comes into the body, like so intense. And I felt Egypt. And I thought, well, that is so weird because we didn't talk about Egypt at all. And then my friend Kimberly came over and she said, can I put my hands on your stomach and tune in? And I was like, sure. She was a somatic facilitator. So it made a little sense. That's good. A little background is good.
1: (laughs) She knew energy (laughs) and I thought,
2: sure, you want to tune in, you know, that's fine. So she put her hands on my stomach and she goes, I feel Egypt. And I was like, what? I never told you I felt the exact same thing. (laughs) And then I immediately was like, I have to get on the floor. And I roll off the chair onto my hands and knees. And I immediately went into a different dimension. I was very aware of my physical body. I could feel my hands and knees pressing into the floor. I think I felt safe because someone else was there. I knew that she was present. And I had felt and dealt with spirits my whole life in some ways, but not consciously and nothing like this and definitely not a vision, but I felt the energy was pure because I hadn't normally felt negative spirits and I was always very scared, but it felt very pure. And my body was like, no, this is safe. This is safe. So what I first saw was a lioness staring me straight in the eyes who walked around me three times, keeping its gaze. And I knew I had to keep its gaze and I knew it was judging me. And I knew my answer was yes. Even though I had no idea what I was saying yes to, I knew the answer was yes. And after three times, boom, boom. The lioness disappeared, and in her place was Isis.
1: I keep getting chills during this story. <laughs> My goodness.
2: She was this gorgeous, resplendent, golden, like, wow. Can't even describe the energy, just light emanating. And all of a sudden, her heart fell out of her chest onto the floor, and she was gushing rivers of blood, like torrents, just Gushing, and I was horrified. And I literally stepped back in horror at the amount of grief coming from her heart, which we could talk a lot about the grief of the divine feminine and the grief for how and where we are on this planet. But in that moment, I didn't know any of that. So all I did in the vision was I stepped forward with my left hand, picked up her heart, put it back in her chest. We both took one step forward and turned into one light and I came back into my body. What?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And was your stomach pain gone?
2: Gone. What? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And then I turned over to my altar and saw the picture I had just placed there. And I was like, that is the woman I just saw. And I told her, I said, I see something. And she said, is it good? And I said, it feels safe. Will you please just let me be on this process and I'll tell you if I'm not okay. And she said, okay. And she just held
1: space. Wow. Okay. (laughs) And that whole time we're just on your hands and knees, in your vision, vision. were you looking at something that wasn't there or talking to something that wasn't there or you were just still? I never asked her those questions. Oh, I'm just curious what her perspective of
2: that experience was. Yeah, I remember feeling myself on my hands and knees the whole time. I remember afterwards we did talk about it, of course, because I told her what I saw, what I experienced. I really don't even remember what she said.
1: (laughs) It was, I mean, such a <laughs> profound experience. Okay, so you had this amazing vision, and then that was the catalyst to the other events and asking
0: for the sign. And Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being At From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive.
1: Okay, so how did you get to doing the work that you do now? (laughs) Yeah, quite a leap, right? (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's all connected. because I went to law school to do women's rights and justice and giving voice to divine feminine vision. Nothing is lost. Nothing is lost. Nothing is lost. Right. And that's the thing about the path of souls even though we don't see it at the time, every single thing we experience is for a reason and everything is happening for us. It just took me time to really feel the interconnectedness of it all and to see the higher vision and the higher picture. I went to Europe on my spiritual pilgrimage just a little brief back step before I say more about what I do now. And during that time, I actually landed on the mountain of Mary Magdalene on September 1st of 2013 and had dreamt seven months prior. That was the day I needed to be there, but kind of forgot about it and just ended up there on that day. As I'm walking up the mountain three quarters of the way up, I see a man turn the corner in front of me and a voice says, he's your soulmate. And I laughed and I was like, that's ridiculous. First of all, I'm here for Mary Magdalene, (laughs) not a man. (laughs) Second, I haven't seen his eyes. And aren't you supposed to see someone's eyes to know if they're your soulmate? So I just forgot about it. I spent like an hour in the cave and I'm walking back down and I come down the stairs and I turn up and I'm like, oh my God, that's the same person. Long story short, we talk. Months later, we move in together. But it became a very karmic relationship. The day we moved in together, it turned very bad. I was in a position of going from power over as a criminal prosecutor to no power at all, basically, in the relationship. Because I was so used to letting the external determine my worth. And as a result of the seeming polarity of that experience and the ways in which I saw how it was easy for me to speak up for others, but not myself, or was easy for me to be seen right with intellectual knowledge, but not for who I am and all of these different seeming polarities and yet are all based on the external really forced me to look at how did I end up here and what are the deeply Embedded subconscious beliefs that I and pretty much every other woman has that created the possibility of that situation and the past lives. And the karma and the energetic imprints that our soul comes in with. And so I started researching mythology, religious history, ancient civilizations, and piecing it together with my own experience and my spiritual guidance to create my forthcoming book, The Power of Eve. But my mission is to really help... People embody their own sovereignty and come into their true power so they really free themselves of these past lives and the traumas that have kept us bound.
1: Wow. Okay. I feel like that work is so important because I know for myself, I have been dealing with a lot of getting over fear of what people think, what people say, reminding myself I'm not going to get hurt or I'm not going to be killed for sharing and speaking my truth. So I've been doing a lot of work on that myself. But to know that there are people like you out there who can really help guide someone through that process is so important. It's like helping the people who are out there speaking their truth. Someone's got to support them too and help them to really believe and find their voice. So it's fantastic that you do that work. And it sounds like it started with you, right? It started working on you as well. So that must have been a tough process for you. Can you talk us through a little bit of
2: how you made it through that? Yeah, so it is so common that so many of us have these fears that we can't even understand because they're not of this life, all of them. I've also had so many memories of being persecuted, like visceral, physical memories of looking the person burning me in the eyes right before I was burned. I mean, just I, it's crazy what my soul has helped me remember so that I could heal in this lifetime. Yes. Yes. It's to heal. We must
1: remember. It's to heal. That's why have to relive this trauma. And I think that
2: that is the key. So one of the things that I would say my specialty is, is guiding people into the wisdom of their body, but through the context of their soul. So soul embodiment guide is really that embodiment of the soul light. Well, the soul light, in order to fully come in, to embody, to create that embodiment of our divinity here on earth, which is reunion. We've been told the divine is outside of us only, and it is outside of us, but it's also inside of us. And it is that remembrance in and through the body, through the reclamation of our own light, that is able to then shine light on the trauma as we become aware, shine light on the old wounds, shine light on the fear, so that what I like to call the wounds of Eve are released, the shame, the guilt, fear, unworthiness, blame, and doubt. I call those the six wounds of Eve that have been perpetuated on all of us, men and women, but that we have to use the remembrance of our own divinity to heal these wounds by coming back into inner union. And of course that's a journey, but it's also the key. Oh yeah,
1: 100 percent. So how did you get to that point where you were able to start to help others and become this soul embodiment
2: guide? What was that process like? After I wrote the book, which has had like 20 iterations, it's been a journey in and of itself. But after I'd finished like the third book to last version of the book. And I, at that point, felt really complete <laughs> because the book literally has written me just as much as I've written that. It's clearly been my soul's way of my own healing. And so I kept seeing that my experience was not just my own, in that everything I was uncovering was to be shared, to be voiced, to be embodied so deeply so that when clients come into my containers or they work with me, not only are they receiving the vibration, the frequency that I emit, but they're also receiving the embodied wisdom and transmission, the subconscious beliefs pulled into light, the safety and the ability to from this divine feminine perspective, really bring everything that we've experienced this life or another back into wholeness, back into oneness, back into love. And because I've been able to do that so deeply with myself, I felt I was ready to hold that space for others because I had already done it. I, only do and teach and voice what I have embodied and gone through first, because I think it can be dangerous to not do that first. It gives me the capacity to hold that space. And also, quite frankly, I'm also on my own ascension journey. I'm also reuniting with my divinity. That's number one. That always will be number one because it is through the reunification of my body and soul that I grid the consciousness on this planet that benefits everyone aware of that or not. These women that you work with have lived these
1: pretty traumatic past lives and carry a lot of those wounds with them into this current life subconsciously or consciously. That's a lot to... Experience And that could be, I imagine, a lot to hold space for. So what do you do to replenish your energy and to keep it from getting depleted after being in that space?
2: So I want to give two parts answers to this question, because sure. the first is it is and it's not a lot to hold and witness because my capacity to love, which I've purified and continue to purify every moment is what holds the space. Meaning it doesn't take work. It's literally embodied presence and heart. (laughs) And that love is what has the power to heal, to transform, to witness. Because in the divine feminine tradition, the true healing is love. And it is the acknowledgement, it is the witnessing, it is the I see you, I hear you, I honor you. I don't try to change you, I don't try to fix you, I don't try to make you better, I witness you. And I not only witness you in your experience, but I witness you in your divinity and I witness your own wholeness through everything. I witness you in your power. I witness you in your choice. I witness you in your sovereignty through everything. And that witnessing creates the healing. And so I don't feel like it's work, but I do feel like my quote work is my own embodiment to be the channel because I also channel energy and light language to be the channel, but also to be the channel of love, pure love. And that is how I replenish and cultivate myself, is through attuning to the frequency of love every day, through being as present as possible in each moment, by working with the energy of my body, connecting to its wisdom, listening to my soul, whether it be meditating, or doing energy work, journaling, talking with and praying to my guides, dancing, walking in the forest every day, putting my feet on the ground communing commuting with the earth. Like that is my life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you do. When you do this work, you feel like you live and breathe it. Like we're constantly one foot here, one foot there, <laughs> just constantly yes. in between, right? Between the worlds Yes. Do you get butterfingers like I do too? I feel like I have butterfingers where I drop things I've heard that's because you're there, but here. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, maybe that's just me. So you mentioned guides.
2: I wanted to ask you, what is your take on guides? Yeah. So I believe we absolutely all of us, whether we're aware of them or talk to them or not, we all have spiritual guides. Now, what does that mean? I wish I had a concrete answer. Again, I feel like some of my guides are animal spirits. Some of my guides are from other planets and dimensions. Some of my guides have shown up in physical reality. I don't understand or know with my mind how and why we have the guides we do and how they're with us and how that all works other than... I know that I receive their guidance when I tune in, when I'm receptive, when I pray, ask. Often, I get that in the physical world showing up. I can't tell you how many crazy symbols I'll receive on my path, literally. Or snakes showing up in the moment of something. Or birds coming. I have this vision of Horus, the Egyptian sun god, literally coming to me with their Cyrus and they were like, This is how we transfer energy and it was this whole vision right here in my living room. They were like, You're gonna receive a sign to show you that this is real. This is last year or something in Two minutes after I come out of the vision and the meditation, it just happened just like this. It wasn't planned. I start walking toward my kitchen and I hear something. And a hawk came next to my sliding glass door in the tree right above my house. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's clearly, right? Like, I
1: can't make this
2: up. <laughs>
1: oh, signs are the Best. And when you're tuned into signs, you realize how much the world we can't see is communicating with us.
2: Constantly. Yes. Yeah. Constantly. We just have to have the eyes to see, which is not coincidentally the message of Horus. It is developing our true vision, our true sight, which sees beyond the illusion of form. It doesn't mean form isn't real. It means to see the energy and the divine in all form. Mm, Yes, that's fantastic.
1: Okay, I need to go back to that vision that you had with Isis and the grieving goddess. Can you talk to us a bit more about that? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I, (laughs) I have spent so many years, it's been what, 10 years since that vision, so many years praying to understand the deeper, significance of the vision. Because I've also always felt grief in my heart and horror and the injustices I see in the world. And I remember at one time I was talking with the earth as a spirit guide, and she said, Grief is only a burden when you carry it like one. And that really impacted me with the force in my chest because I had been carrying grief like a burden, like something to get rid of, like something that was bad. I've since been able to feel for myself that I feel grief when there's a lack of love. Anytime there's a lack of love, I feel grief in my heart. Though I can't speak specifically in this moment for Isis herself and that grief in that particular vision, what I feel is that it is the grief of separation. I feel ooh, some light language coming through around that, but I feel it is the grief of separation. And The grief of believing we are separate from the divine, believing we are separate from our own divinity, believing we are separate from each other, believing we're separate from love. And I know that she was calling me on an initiation in that vision so that I can help bridge that through the union within ourselves. We create the union outside of ourselves.
1: Hmm. Okay,
2: that's beautiful. And I think she
1: must have had to give you such a intense vision for it to have this profound impact 10 years later. We're still talking about it. So thank you, yeah. Isis. Because, <laughs> wow. I mean, I just had this vision of the shining, you know, where the elevator doors open and all the blood gushes through the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> That's my vision when you're like, all this blood was coming through. I was like, oh, my God. It must have been quite the vision. (laughs) So you've had all these amazing messages come through, whether it's Gaia or nature or these Egyptian gods and goddesses, etc. So can you communicate and do mediumship work with them? Do you pass messages on from them or whoever on your terms versus all of a sudden you get a message. Can you intentionally
2: connect and share messages from them? So one of the things that I've struggled a very long time to embrace, because I used to want to channel by seeing them and hearing them and it coming from up here and outside of me. And one of the main messages from ISIS is that you are just like me you're not becoming me. You are your own divinity. (laughs) I struggled a really long time with that because I didn't feel worthy of that. We're told constantly that we are not worthy of being that. And that's why the wound of unworthiness is one of the deepest ways (laughs) that we can stay bound. And so part of My particular soul mission is the reunification of body and soul. And so I think because of the specific mission and path my soul has, it is more to communicate with spirit and my guides and the divine through my body. So I don't necessarily sit and channel or get words necessarily – I always imagined it would be if I were doing that, I guess. in so my imagination, but for example, when I work with a client, I always call in their guides and my guides for the highest purpose and frequency and vibration and all the things. But sometimes I can feel, hear and receive messages. And sometimes I don't, but I always feel and see their soul <laughs> and i always trust that what comes through me is exactly what they need and sometimes i can feel their guides sometimes it'll be through light language or a vision or colors or energy work and sometimes it's just more plain and talking and guidance and i and i've learned to trust right that it's not always about the energy work sometimes the most important piece is just how we feel And being with that or what our body is saying and being with that and to label one as better than the other is that old paradigm that the divine isn't in all of it.
1: Sure. Yeah. And the divine is in all of it. So you're on your fourth book right now. Is that right?
2: No, no, no. It's my fourth draft at that. Oh. I've done drafts of the same book. Like oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, probably technically I've written twenty of these books, but it's one book. Have you published it yet? <laughs> I'm in search of a publisher right now. Oh. So I have an agent and been looking for a publisher. Look at you. What's so funny is that I just have to, again, trust the soul of the book and trust the divine timing because we had put it out with some publishers and they were out with it for a long time. And then each one was just like, it's just not the right fit. They had beautiful things to say, absolutely loved it, but it just wasn't the right fit. And what actually was, was the one of the most powerful initiations for me was that because I realized that there was still a part of me That was letting whether or not the book became published determine my value. If someone else saw the value, it would be valuable. It was a huge initiation gift from the book itself, which was, I am not your value. That is intrinsic. That is you. And so over the past month or two since that's happened, I've really been sitting with the energy of the book and myself and integrating that wholeness and completion energetically, because it was like it gave me the ending energetically when that happened, so that it only comes from pure desire to share the wisdom in the book and not from any place of need or lack.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so lesson learned, time to get a publisher. So let's try to break it in now (laughs) for sending you some good juju there for a publisher. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, how exciting. Well, I look forward to that getting out and being published and that the people who are meant to read it will get it and I'm sure it'll be fantastic. So Jessica, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover
2: yet today? I really feel like it's just so important to encourage everyone to trust themselves because When we trust what we feel, when we trust what we know, when we trust our own inner experience, that is how we become our own authority. It's through that deep trust in what you can't see, what you can't explain, what you can't make sense of, what other people don't yet understand. That level of trust in yourself is your power. Oh, thank you so much for that
1: wonderful message. And Jessica, thank you to you for your time for sharing your story, and your truth with us in your journey so far. Really appreciate you. So
2: thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to connecting with any listeners who are interested in embodying more of their sovereignty and wish you the best of luck on your own journey because each soul journey is so unique.
1: Oh, 100%. And all your information will be in the show notes. So it'll be easy for them to find you. Perfect. And that was another episode of a Guided Life podcast. To connect with me via my socials or for links to my book titled Guided or my card deck called From Your Spirit Guides, please visit my Linktree site at l i n k t r dot ee forward slash guidedwest. thanks so much for tuning in and until next time love and light always
0: hey it's radley valentine join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast the angel tarot show